The opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, and welcome to episode 50, yes, 50, of the Pennsylvania Project. As you may know, our vision here at the Pennsylvania Project is a better Pennsylvania. To achieve that vision, our mission is to boldly showcase the political, cultural, and environmental challenges facing contemporary Pennsylvania and to relentlessly pursue correct solutions. But more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem and actually implementing a correct solution. We have a viral episode planned for today, and like all episodes of the Pennsylvania Project, it's divided into three parts. You, them, and me. Part one is all about you, your questions, your opinions, your solutions, your whatevers. And rather than a call-in format, we utilize an email-in format. So if you have something to say, you can always drop us a line at PennsylvaniaProject.com. Today for the you part, we have our latest regular feature, Unscripted Cohorts, plus a question about a better life and the good old coronavirus. After the you part comes part two, the them part where each episode we host a guest to help us showcase the political, cultural, and or environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. Our guest today is Missing in Action. It happens on an occasion. I guess this must be an occasion. So instead, as a public service, we are going to explore the details of how you personally can run for public office, regardless of the office, regardless of your party, regardless of your agenda. Let's call it participatory democracy parts one and two. After that comes the me portion of the Pennsylvania Project, where it'll be my turn, your caster, Ken Crawchuck. I'll be focusing on some particular issue that really sticks in my craw, pun intended. Today, it's the worldwide response to the coronavirus. And throughout the show, as is our long-established custom, we'll be featuring a Pennsylvania Toastmaster to serve as narrator to read our live commercials. Today, we have Christopher Hulse, all the way from Scranton, and a member of two clubs, the Mondelez International Toastmasters and Electric City Toastmasters, and he's a Toastmasters Area Director, a honcho. Welcome to the Pennsylvania Project, Chris. Thank you. All the way from Scranton. Nice drive. It's a beautiful country up there. It is. Let me ask you a question. What do you like about Toastmasters? For me personally, it got me out of my comfort zone. It, it gave me a lot of confidence to stand in front of hundreds of people and that's something I never would have thought <laughs> I did in my life and and now I'm comfortable doing it I'd like to make a career out of it if that's possible uh-huh you know I used to get asthma attacks so I tried to speak in public and I looked at both of us we're on the radio dude we also have a second Toastmaster with us according to another one of our ancient customs to help read and respond to whatever comes into our mailbag and to join in with to our discussions with our guest it's a role we call cohort Today's cohort is no stranger to the Pennsylvania Project, although he may be strange. In fact, he's becoming a downright fixture on the Pennsylvania Project. This is, he's counting on his fingers. It's your seventh appearance on the Pennsylvania Project. Distinguished Toastmaster Art Farnsworth, welcome back, 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 back. There you go. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, we haven't run out of fingers yet. <laughs> counting on toes pretty soon. Yeah, boy, and you don't know any better. You're as bad as Kate. She keeps coming back. Mm-hmm. Although she's thinking of cutting back. Last episode, she says, I don't know. I got too many things I'm saying yes she's to. She's a busy woman. I know, but boy, halfway through the show, she's like, well, well maybe I'm not going <laughs> to. It's too much fun. Yeah, huh? it's too much fun. It's yeah, really it good. it is a good time here. Yeah, and you and her are the same. You guys like to participate, and that's that's a good thing. Yeah. 
And since you've been gone, things have changed Uh-oh. here at the Pennsylvania Project. For good, I hope. Well, it depends how you how you call that. We have a, a, adopted a new ancient custom. We, I've been asking each cohort to bring along an unscripted question that for is an new. impromptu response. This is right out of Toastmasters and mm-hmm. our table topics where you get hit with cold questions. True. And it just adds a little bit of fun to it and keeps me on my toes. So what you got? All right. Roll up your sleeves. Here we go. Can you consistently cite the Pennsylvania Constitution as being authoritative here? It's right here at my elbow. Right, as authoritative here in the Commonwealth, but on issues which, in particular, both the Pennsylvania and the national constitutions address, which prevails here? We're double-dipping in a way because we're still really asking the most important question. Is it constitutional? <laughs> the voice well, of which Michael book Bednar. do we go to? Well, there's, it's an easy answer. And I don't like the Pledge of Allegiance. I don't pledge. I haven't pledged since 2000. But there's a line in there. And to the republic for which it stands. Mm -hmm. What is a republic? It is a collection of independent nations that band together for some common purpose, like Mm -hmm. coinage or defense or something like that. Pennsylvania is an independent country that ceded certain powers to the federal government. But that means that we are an independent country. They work for us. So if there's any kind of a conflict between the two, it's the Pennsylvania Constitution that rules. And I can give you lots of examples of that. My favorite is people say, Second Amendment, oh, shall not be infringed. Mm -hmm. But Article 1, Section 21 of the Pennsylvania Constitution says, the right of the citizen to bear arms in defense of himself and the state shall not not be questioned. questioned. Much, much, much stronger. Agreed. And I've seen that used by other states. For example, I think it's Minnesota or Montana. They make their own machine guns. Mm. As long as they don't distribute them outside the state, there's nothing that the feds can say about it. No federal firearms license. And it goes beyond that, too. That means most of the alphabet soup agencies, Mm -hmm. they have no authority in Pennsylvania. EPA, IRS, all those groups. In fact, they are supposed to report to the sheriff of any county that they go into. And I was actually thinking about that when I was running for governor, Mm. because if the sheriff allows these guys into the state without proper authority, the governor has the power to remove sheriffs for cause. Wow. And that would be cause. That would. And guess who appoints the replacement? Mm. The The governor. Wow. And I'm wondering, how many sheriffs would I have to replace before they got the program right? How many counties? 67, 67, right? Oh, there's your answer, perhaps. No, I I think it'll only be... One before the court battle would start. Oh, that's true. Two or three while the court battle's going on and mm. trying to get injunctions to stop me. <laughs> but no, coming back to what you said, it's Pennsylvania Constitution. Unfortunately, during the Civil War, or the war between the states, or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. the federal government conquered the states and flipped that around. So now they think that they have the authority to do it. Mm-hmm. And in a couple cases they do, but in most cases they don't. So whenever there's a conflict... Pennsylvania rules, and to the republic for which it is. Mm-hmm. True. Answer your question? It does, and hopefully it answers the question Good. adequately for our listening audience as well. Yeah, I could have paid you to ask that question. That's a real yeah. fiery one. <laughs> so what else we got? We got somebody sending in questions. Yeah, Bart Smith, a blast from my past in the Libertarian Party, from Ridley Park, Oops. writes in with a pardon? Is, um, oh, I'm sorry. I got it the other way around. I have Bob first. Does, well, is Bart a lesser person? Yes. Okay. Sorry, Bart. 
<laughs> Bob Small. There you go. <laughs> I went, Talk about a diminutive shifting and, of, and you know, of and priorities my, here. My apologies. I did shift around because Bob's answer is short. All right. Bob Small from Swarthmore is writing in with this question. Ken, any thoughts on the violation of self-isolation orders and whether this could constitute a possible harm to others from a libertarian perspective? You know, it, I love questions from Bob. He's a green guy, and he and I go way back. We're both members of the Pennsylvania Ballot Access Coalition in mm-hmm. favor of fair ballot access. And this question, it's like all the others. It's great. And, Bob, I got a lot of thoughts about that. And when I started putting it down, it just started getting fiery as well. And I thought, you know, I'm going to save this for the rant at ah. the end of the show. Because it's not so much the coronavirus that sticks in my craw. It's the world's reaction to it. Mm-hmm. So stay tuned, and what are we going to have? It probably about thirty-five minutes. I'm going to start leaning into it. I heard the P word on the way down. Pandemic. Pandemic. Already being used yeah. to describe it. And the the governor was on the air today saying he's shutting down Montgomery County, which we're sitting in. Shutting the county down. He's, well, all the schools and things like that. And my Toastmasters meeting tomorrow has been canceled. Wow. Because the the company that's holding it is shutting down as well. Wow. Yeah. I went out to my biggest client today. They're shut down too, but you wouldn't know it. Everybody's still there. Yeah. Bunch of brave people. Hmm. Anyway, Bob, hang in there. I'm going to get to you for the rant. Thank you for the question. It was a good one and very timely too, especially in light of the governor's proclamation today. How about it? So now you can get to Bart. All right. Back to Bartman who asks, Ken, are you personally better off than you were three and a half years ago? Worse off? And why? For either answer. Either answer. Either, either. Tomato, either, tomato. either, either. And you know, I, and you'll appreciate this immediate response because when I read that, I was wondering, better off from what point of view? Because we do political, cultural, and environmental questions. Mm-hmm. So since he didn't give us direction, I think we should do all three. Well, then there's also the question when he says you, who does he refer to? Is it singular or plural? Yes. Is it me? Is it us here at the Pennsylvania Project? Some generic you who's not in the room? You're the caster, so I think he was addressing it to you. Well, he did say personally, so I guess that makes it personal. Mm-hmm. So, you know, let's make it you and me. All right. And let, let me start off, and I'll start off with cultural. Am I better off culturally, worse off? Well, I must have to say I'm much, much better off because three and a half years ago, I did not have my own talk radio show. That's there a big difference. And now every episode I get helps to set the societal agenda. And look at the crazy things I get to rant about that stick in my craw. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, episode 42, 43, 44, I went through all the unanswered questions on the Pennsylvania Project. It took three rants, and wow. I didn't get through them all. I had almost enough for a fourth one. I thought, you know, let's let's move on from this one. Mm-hmm. So there's a legitimate question about how much I may have influenced the social agenda, but at least the push is there and something must be happening. So I'd say I'm better off. How about you? Are you better off culturally? Culturally, I would say yes, mainly because through my my business activities and also through Toastmasters, I'm exposed to people from very different backgrounds and cultures and countries and such. And it's really neat to get to interact with some of them. In some cases, just try to figure out what they're saying and help (laughs) them communicate more effectively in the English language. But Mm -hmm. definitely the diversity and the backgrounds I'm experiencing nowadays are new for me. Excellent. Expanded. All right. Let's go to are we better off environmentally or worse off and why? I'd say it's a mixed bag because I'm thinking, first of all, fracking in Pennsylvania has continued to expand. 
And it's been a huge improvement to the state, economically speaking, because of that fracking. And there's been no apocalyptic, apocalyptic, I can talk, no disaster befalling us, not yet anyway. So from that point of view, it's pretty good, I think. But on the other hand, I still do a lot of overnight backpacking on the Appalachian Trail, which is good. In fact, I'm going out this weekend. Oh. When we're doing the Pennsylvania side of the Delaware Water Gap, which is one of my favorite stretches. Is Bart going with you? I know he's been a frequent. He was until he bailed out a couple oh, of days no. ago. Bar, we retract your Bar, reading of your question yeah. today. Yeah, still, still. It's, in itself, it's still good. But as, as I mentioned, fewer and fewer people are going along with me. It's like they're getting old or something. That's true. Most of the people I camp with now are either our kids or friends of our kids or our grandkids. There you go. I had a grandkid out the last time I went out. It's been three months since the last time I went camping. Wow. Yeah, that's a that's stretch a for you. a long time. Yeah, it used to be every month or so. Mm. So I'd say personally I'm worse off, but at least I'm still going camping, backpacking. So it's a mixed bag, mm-hmm. as I mentioned. So how do you feel environmentally? Environmentally, I'm not going to take it from a personal perspective, but I – had occasion to travel along a roadway the other day, which had a lot of litter along the sides. Yeah. What I'd like to see is more people, and I thought you may you were going to touch on this, the Appalachian Trail, taking responsibility for the environment around them and just treating it more kindly and having respect for it and their fellow citizens by not throwing the trash out the window of the uh-huh. car. Well, you know, it's actually better than it used to be. I'm thinking back in the 60s. It's improved. And they have those sponsor or uh, highway signs up now, yeah. so some organizations are out there on a regular basis cleaning up the litter. Volunteers, yep. There's yeah. one There's one down in uh, Delaware County. It says Libertarian Party. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah, it's really old. It's wow. been a while. So what about politically? I'm looking at the time. We're not going to have time to get through the political off. That's the toughest one. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'd have to say it's a mixed bag. And I, on one hand, we're much worse off, and I don't have to look any farther than my last race for governor. Because in my 2018 race, comparing it with the 2002 race, well, back in 2002, Ed Rendell and Mike Fisher joined me in four debates, two of them broadcast nationally. But Wagner and Wolf both refused to mm. debate me, even though I sent them both personal letters inviting them. Wow. And it's not just me who was personally slighted this year <clears throat> by two out-of-touch politicians. The League of Women Voters had to withdraw their support from the 2018 gubernatorial debate because those civic-minded participants didn't want me there. No kidding. No kidding. They've had a mixed bag, those folks, over the years. Yeah. With liber- yeah. Check out episode 39. Susan Carty, the past president of the League of Women Voters, was there, and she explained all the details. She said, oh, they're committed to democracy, and it's not fair to exclude a candidate whose name is on the ballot. Oh. So what they did is they held their own debate, <laughs> and they had Francine Scherzer, who's vice president of programming at Pennsylvania Cable Network, as the moderator, and, of course, our out-of-touch politicians declined to attend that. How mm-hmm. rude. Of course, I was there. So getting back to BART, I'd say Pennsylvania is worse off politically. But on the other hand, we libertarians elected 40, count them, 40 libertarians to public office last election. That's 47 total statewide, more than any other state in the nation. And we're growing still. We are now the third largest political party, hands down, libertarians, outnumbering all the other fourth parties put together. And we're still growing. Wow. But politically, best of all, it goes back to the culturally. We've got a libertarian talk radio show on the air. The first one since yep. Irv Homer hung Probably. up, hung up his headphones. Station. Libertarian radio, it doesn't get better than that. Amen. 
On that cheerful note, that's going to have to do it for the U portion of episode 50. We're going to pause for this information, and when we return, we'll be presenting a public service titled Participatory Democracy, Part 1. Did you hear the latest news? Almost two-thirds of all federal spending now goes to pay for the welfare state. More than $2.2 trillion, which just about equals federal income. Do you realize what that means? Virtually all tax revenue is now being consumed by the welfare state. But how do we rein in that runaway spending before it destroys America? The answer? The separation of society and state. That's the premise of the new novel, Atlas Snubbed, an unsanctioned parody sequel to Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. Atlas Snubbed presents a workable alternative to the welfare state as we know it. Atlas Snubbed expertly extends Rand's epic story of a looter's world snubbed by the men of the mind, bringing to life a crumbling post-apocalyptic world where no one need ask who is John Galt, because now they know. Atlas Snubbed, available at all online bookstores or through atlassnubbed.com. Read it today before it's too late. Here's an interesting question. What do you think of these three ideas? Number one, people have at all times an inalienable right to alter, reform, or abolish their government as they think proper. Number two, juries shall have the right to determine the law as well as the facts. Number three, the right of the citizens to bear arms in defense of themselves and the state shall not be questioned. Do those words sound like they're something taken from a Hollywood political thriller? Well, they're not. They're all direct quotes taken from the Article I of the Pennsylvania Constitution. Everyone's heard of the United States Constitution, but have you ever heard of the Pennsylvania Constitution? Have you ever read it? But most importantly, was it ever taught to you in school? If you're like virtually all Pennsylvanians, the answers are like to be, to be no, no, and no. Well, it's long past time we change those answers to yes, yes, and yes. And you have a crucial part to play in making those come to pass. As you know, we here at the Pennsylvania Project are all about solutions. So we've authored a petition demanding that the Pennsylvania Constitution be taught to our children. If you believe it's important for our children to know how our state government works, head over to our website, pennsylvaniaproject.com, and add your name to the growing list of signers. And every time we accumulate another batch of signatures, we'll send a copy of the petition to the governor, the Pennsylvania Board of Education, and each and every one of 501 school districts in Pennsylvania, asking them right now to start teaching our children the Pennsylvania Constitution. So please sign the petition at PennsylvaniaProject.com. Do it now while it's on top of your mind. The alternative is yet another generation that has never heard of, let alone read, the Pennsylvania Constitution. And people wonder why no one votes anymore. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, and welcome to the them portion of episode 50 of the Pennsylvania Project, where we host a guest to help showcase the political, cultural, and or environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. As I mentioned at the top of the show, our guest is missing in action again. I guess it's maybe the fourth time out of 50 episodes. That's not too bad. So instead, we'll be presenting a public service, service, pronounce it correctly, on how to run for public office. This is for anybody. I'm going to call it Participatory Democracy Part 1. And we are fortunate to have Art with us today as our cohort since he has run for public office more than once. And not only has he run for office, he has won his election. Shh. Yeah. And you're not serving currently, right? Correct. Yeah. But anyway, you're, you're the best person to have sitting on the other side. Let me start off with a few questions. 
How many of you are happy with the political scene in Pennsylvania or America today? Are you happy with the job our elected officials are doing? Chris is shaking his head. <laughs> Most people would say that. I have a novel suggestion. Why don't you get up and do something about it? Specifically, have you ever considered running for public office yourself? No, no, no. Don't laugh. Don't. Chris is looking at me slack-jawed. <laughs> the philosopher Plato once remarked that people who are too smart to get involved in politics leave the field wide open for those who aren't. We are fortunate to have self-government here, which means if you don't like how some things are being run, you can get up and do something about it yourself. Toward that end, this is the first of a series of presentations on participatory democracy with the goal of empowering you, the average citizen, to run for public office. And cheer up. It's not that difficult. If it was, our politicians wouldn't be able to do it, now would they? And, you know, about a third of our listeners live in the police state of New Jersey, so I'll be touching on a little bit on New Jersey issues as well, even though we are the Pennsylvania Project. How's that for a public service? Wow, you love them. Not really, but that's it. I like, I like the Pine Barrens. Mm -hmm. So let's start at the very beginning with particip participatory democracy part one. See how many times I stumble over that word. First step, obviously, is get your name on the ballot, because nothing happens until you do. Yes, you can run a writing campaign where your name is not on the ballot, and folks can write in your name, or more commonly these days, type in your name. But it's very challenging to win a writing campaign. Did you ever do a writing campaign, Art? Not that I recall. Uh, I did one. I got 7%. Mm. It was awful. I su suggest you take the easier route and just get your name on the ballot. And that's not that difficult. To get your name on the ballot, you have to petition. And petitioning means collecting signatures from registered voters, usually within your own party, but if you're a third party and independent, you can have any registered voter, and that's a good thing. This is Pennsylvania, by the way. Correction, qualified electors. Qualified electors. <clears throat> yes, qualified want means... us to believe it's the vo registered voters, yes, and of it's... course that's what we end up doing, but qualified electors is the specific language on the you ballot are exit correct. petition. And we've challenged that in court, and the yep. judges have laughed at us. They said, no, they got to be registered voters. Nope. Nope, don't have to. But the number of signatures you need, it varies from office to office. Uh, it could be from a handful or a few dozen for local office. Statewide assembly is 300, minimum of 300 in Pennsylvania. Jersey's only 100. Well. Congressman in Pennsylvania is 1,000. New Jersey's only 200. U.S. Senator, 2,000 in Pennsylvania. It's only 1,000 in New Jersey. I do think I you ought to rethink your stance see, about New Jersey. Do I see the a so pattern here? The so-called police seems to have some advantages. Even though Article 1, Section 5 of the Pennsylvania <clears throat> Constitution says all elections shall be... Free and equal. Free and equal. Some people are more equal than others. Now, if you're not a member of the two old parties in Jersey, it gets a little easier, although it gets much more difficult here. Anywhere from three to 33 times as many signatures as the two old parties. Mm. When I ran against Ed Rendell in 2000, he needed two... 2002, I'm sorry. He needed 2,000 signatures. I needed 21,000. That sounds equal, doesn't it? <laughs> I don't know what version of the Constitution these folks are I reading, don't but know it's either. not the same one that you have next to your left hand there. Yeah. And there's a catch to this, too. That's the minimum number of signatures. And you need to get a cushion because sometimes they're not registered, they got the wrong address or something like that. The old challenge-proof cushion, yeah. Yep. And if you get about 50% more, otherwise you get thrown off the ballot. No fun. And it's got to be on the state-approved forum, which means no ditto marks, mm -hmm. no, what, blue or black ink only. It's got to match your voter registration card or else no good. And you got to bring a spare pen in case yours breaks when you go do that. <laughs> and you get that form from the County Board of Elections for local races or the state 
in Harrisburg for statewide elections, and all the details are on the web, and you don't need anyone's permission. You True. could just go and do it. So that's the legality of getting them. But how do you get those signatures after that? Some people go door to door, but that's really time consuming. Better choice is going to, where did you go for petitioning art? Ah, uh, the now defunct Kmart. Kmart, yep. <clears throat> Shopping malls, train yep. stations, ball games, concerts, any place with a crowd. I like fireworks. Yeah. And always dress nice when you go petitioning. Don't wear sunglasses, it prevents eye contact, mm -hmm. things like that. And you always use a trusty opening line. Just go up to somebody and say, excuse me, can you help me out? Believe it or not, people are still basically good in Pennsylvania anyway. And they're, they're eager, eager to help. Gets their attention. You just keep it short. Say, I'm collecting signatures to get my name on the November ballot. I was wondering if I could ask you to sign, please. Most people just do it. About half the people just do it. And it's also helpful to let them off the hook. I'm not asking you to vote for me. I just want you to let That's me get on right. the ballot. Help me it's get this, on the ballot. I tell them this, if they if they wait, I say this doesn't commit you to anything. It's only to get me on the ballot. Mm -hmm. No salesman will call. So that we have a choice. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And if they really lean on it, I say, oh, come on, support democracy in your neighborhood, huh? What's uh, democracy again? What's the definition? Two wolves and a sheep voting on what to have for lunch. Oh, all right. <laughs> no. we, we support constitutional republicanism. Yep. Republicanism. But whether or not they sign, always, always be polite. So there you go. You, you get the number of signatures, you submit it to Harrisburg or your local county, depending right. on statewide or local, mm -hmm. and you are on the ballot. Ta-da! Nobody's permission. You just go and do it. Mm -hmm. Then the fun begins. Then the fun begins. So let's, let's leave it at that for now. That's the dry mechanics of how to get on the ballot and that warm human interaction that gets you there. I'm your caster, Ken Krawchuk, and you're listening to Episode 50 of The Pennsylvania Project. We'll be right back after this information. Do you like The Pennsylvania Project? You must. After all, you're listening to it right now. But would you like more? More of the rants, the guests, the fun? Well, you're in luck, because by popular demand, we've added even more content. Things like keeping the mics live after the credits roll at the end of the show while we continue our on-air conversations. It's all 100% unscripted and often includes things we can't see on the air, or shouldn't. Would you like access to each episode the day it's recorded? Live streams of every show as it happens? Behind-the-scenes interviews and bonus videos with our guests? All this and more is now available at PennsylvaniaProject.com. But wait, there's more. Sign up today and you also get a copy of Ken's novel, Atlas Snubbed, a parody sequel to Anne Rand's Atlas Shrugged. And you can even call in live and participate on the show. How's that for more content? You can be the content. So if the idea of more Pennsylvania Project excites you, head on over to PennsylvaniaProject.com and click the More Fun link at the top of the page. Solve the correct problem correctly and sign up today. Hey, Toastmaster Art here, cohort today on the Pennsylvania Project. You know, it's easy to find a high paying job, at least for some people it is. Employers are begging for competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. But do those words describe you? Competent leader communicates effectively? If not, or even if they do, you may want to consider joining Toastmasters. The mission of Toastmasters is to provide a supportive environment for learning communication and leadership skills. But does it really work? Hey, look at me. I joined Toastmasters, and now I've been on the radio eight times. So turn your life around like I have. Visit toastmasters.org and contact a club near you. 
Visitors are always welcome, and be sure to mention my name, Toastmaster Art. The future is anxiously awaiting competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. You can be that leader, and it all starts at Toastmasters.org. Are you a small business owner always looking for referrals? Do you have a streamlined approach to generating new referrals? Contact Stephen Worley to learn the fast, easy way to generate new referrals. Stephen has an all-inclusive system that will help you generate an extra 5 to 10 customers per week without spending a single dollar on ads. You won't have to create a website, have pictures taken, or write a single ad. Stephen will take the headache out of the process. Contact him at stephenworley.com. That's Stephen with a V, W-E-R-L-E-Y dot com. Fly fishermen, new and old, understand the importance of affordable quality gear. At Christopher Fave Fly Fishing, we have provided that for over a quarter century. Whether you fish dries, wets, or any combination, Christopher Fave, F-A-V-E, flyfishing.com has an American-made leader for you. Pennsylvania Proud, our reputation rests solely on your complete satisfaction. Again, that's Christopher Fave, flyfishing.com. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here again, and we're back with episode 50 of the Pennsylvania Project. And we're here with our public service on participatory democracy. Before the break, we told you how to get on the ballot. It's pretty simple about how to collect signatures. But now we come to participatory democracy part two, where we cover the most important thing for any campaign, volunteers. They're absolutely necessary for any campaign because you cannot do it alone you're not going to get far without them. And the bigger the office, the more volunteers you need. Mm-hmm. I mentioned before how I needed to collect 21,000 signatures to get on the ballot. I had, well, we collected 32,500 in the end. That was our cushion. Wow. And I had 900 volunteers around the state. Wow. Yeah. See, so cannot do it alone. No. <clears throat> but where do you find these volunteers? How do you get them rolling? How do you keep them rolling? Let's take those questions one at a time. Where do you find them? Answer, everywhere. Anybody who has any kind of an interest in the campaign. And you know how you recruit them? You just ask. And in person is best. And I got a story about that. When I was brandy new, my first race in 1994, I ran for state rep. I was talking to one of Libertarian Party people. You probably remember him, Jorge Amador. Remember Jorge? Can't say that I do. Oh, yeah. He was, I was asking him. I, I had to collect... 600 signatures to get on the ballot. I said, Jorge, how am I going to do this? He says, volunteers. You need volunteers. Mm -hmm. And here's how you get them. What you do is you look them square in the eye and say, listen, I need your help. I need somebody to collect the signatures for me. Can you come out and help me out? I looked at him. I said, Jorge, I really need help. I got to collect 600 signatures. Can you come out and help? Mm -hmm. And he looked at me, and he knew that he had been set up. (laughs) And you know what he said? Hopefully it had a three-letter answer, not a two-letter answer. He said, yeah, he said yes. And I've done that with so many people over the years. Just ask them, please mm-hmm. help me. Face-to-face, best. Phone is okay. Not as good, though. It's easy, a little bit easier for them to look away and True. not get that connection. Email, text. Impersonal. No. Easily discarded. Or... E- email blasts. No, don't. No. Dear world. Hello, world. Please help me. Delete. Delete. Yeah, no, it's no fun. Definitely not the way to do it. So that's how you get your volunteers. One-on-one, eye-to-eye, face-to-face, 
particularly by the candidate. And once you got them, what do they do? I mean, they get all kinds of talents, but you got to match up what those talents are with the volunteers' abilities. You have to go with the flow. What do they like to do? So if they're a CPA, say, hey, do you want to be treasurer? And I did that. Sharon was my first treasurer. Oh, yeah, yeah. Chefs. Yeah. Yep. Are they a geek? They could be a webmaster. There you go. Tony. Yeah. Same thing. How about it? Are they a toastmaster? Maybe they could be your surrogate speaker. Look at Eric. He did that for me. Hmm. Are they a social butterfly? Maybe they could organize events for you. Are they a Facebook addict? They mm. make them an admin. Yeah, BPR. Yes. Uh, are they a web surfer? Well, what they do is they can chronicle any mention of the campaign, and we could pass those around. Or they could reply in comments section saying, hey, Ken's a great guy, or he, whatever it is, and throw in the link to the website. Are they a news junkie where their eyes are glued to the news shows all the time? Well, they could do opposition research for you. Mm-hmm. Are they a talk radio fan? Well, they can call in and say, hey, you should really listen to Ken. Are they on one of these online forums? Well, they push the campaign on the forum. Brandon did that. The guy. Letters to the editor. Who reads letters to the editor anymore? You're showing your age, dude. Nobody does that. (laughs) And if if the person is active in the community, like the church or PTA, professional organization, arrange a visit. You can come Mm -hmm. talk to the people. They're a student. Bring me to your school. In 2002, most, virtually, most, more than 50% of my appearances, that is most, were at schools. I'm saying they in 2018. Mm-hmm. And it's great. It gives students the unvarnished truth. I've actually had teachers stare daggers at me when I'm off there talking and stuff. That's mm-hmm. a lot of fun. But the point is, go with the flow. Whatever they do, it's your job as the candidate to weave it into a tapestry, which is your campaign what do you do with a volunteer without, without any talent? Well, you say, here, put this yard sign in your lawn. <laughs> Figure they can do that. Yep. Maybe they can do data entry. I get a lot of notes from when I do door-to-door, and that's part three, by the way, is how to go door-to-door. Maybe they're a phone bank volunteer calling people up. They could just talk up the campaign to their friends. Maybe even have a little coffee clatch, invite the neighbors by, and mm-hmm. I can go by and sit there and talk to these people. You could also ask them to petition, get signatures for you. That's true. That's the, probably the big one. There's the other side of the coin. Sometimes a volunteer will come up and say, you know what you ought to do? True story. You ought to get the Goodyear blimp up there. And it's going to say, vote for Ken on the side. www.kenk.org. And you know what I do? I say, you know what? You're absolutely right. You raise the money with Bill, right? No, that's a great idea. No, you, you take the lead on this. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll even, you tell me how much it's going to cost. You talk to the Goodyear Blimp people. You get this all set up and we'll do it. You know, billboard on the highway, same thing, whatever mm-hmm. it is. You never hear from them again. Off they go. But the point is, if somebody approaches you, whatever they suggest, smile and nod your head and say, let's do it. You're in charge. That's a question of, though, how do you get them rolling? One-on-one, again, is always best. Look them in the eye. Toastmasters has an eight-step plan for doing that. Toastmasters has a manual about everything. That's one thing I love about Toastmasters. And let me just run down them real quick. Number one, you tell them what needs to be done. Good place to start. You tell them the impact of not doing it. Mm. You suggest how you'd like them to do it. Then you listen to how they would like to do it. 
Then you two of you come to a consensus on how it's actually going to get done. Mm-hmm. You give them the authority to do it. Follow up with them in writing, giving them the authority and your understanding of what they're going to do. And regardless of whether they pull it off or not, always thank them publicly and profusely because it's the only pay that you can give to a volunteer. It's true. And that's what a lot of people are in there for. But how do you keep them rolling? Because as I mentioned, they are notoriously unfaithful. You don't have a paycheck hanging over their head or anything. So you got to follow up regularly. And there are several different approaches you can use to keep them rolling. You can always remind them of the get rolling discussion. You can go back and point to that thing you put in writing saying, here's what we agreed you were going to do. It's pretty hard to dodge that. Mm -hmm. But you always focus on the goal. Never, ever, ever on the person. Never attack them. Never belittle them. Don't say, what are you, some kind of bum? You say, no, no. This has to get get done. Here's why it's important. This is the impact of it not getting done. Just get down those eight points again. Because if you if you pick on them, belittle them, chase them away, you got to be supportive of the guys. And you'll never get that person back again. Never get right. That's exactly right. But there's the other side. You should never be afraid to walk away from a volunteer. I had one guy who was my Facebook admin, mm-hmm. and he started replying saying, "Yeah, the governor's a bum," and I I never I never go against the individual, not ever. I've never done that on my show, and I never will. Mm-hmm. I'll go against the behavior. I think Governor Wolf's war on drugs is insane. The whole opioid crisis is the fault of people who are in government who pass that. But anyway, I won't, talk, say, I won't say nasty things about the governor. Matter of fact, I'll say nice things about him. I mean, he's gone through a lot of trouble for public service. And if more people did that, this would be a much, much better state. Mm-hmm. But if a volunteer is going rogue, I usually give them three chances. First one's like, oh, dude, don't do that. Second time, I was like, yo, didn't we talk about this? Third time, all of a sudden, they go to log on and, hey, how come I can't log on? <laughs> <laughs> no. Sorry, let, let me sum up. Where do you find volunteers? Everywhere. Art, where did you find volunteers? At the time, running as libertarian, I firstly went to the members of the Bucks County Libertarian Committee because uh-huh. we were kindred spirit. Yep. They're in the same county, the same area. Let's recruit from within. Kindred spirits. I've got to write that one down. So that was what I did. I ran for township, I'm sorry, township auditor. And that largely was a solo effort because it was a very small rural township in Upper Bucks County. Mm-hmm. But as the races got bigger and I ended up running for judge inspector of elections a couple of times, and then subsequently, as you likely remember, ran for Bucks County commissioner. Yep. And then subsequent to that oh, was, yes. oh yeah, the eighth big against race, good old man. Mike Fitzpatrick. And you were in all the debates and it was a good thing you were a Toastmaster too. Yes, that was very, very mm-hmm. helpful. So what did you have your volunteers do? When I, what did they do? I just had them do, as I mentioned before, whatever they already do. I just say, hey, do that for the campaign. So what did you have your volunteers doing for you? A lot of it was door-to-door. We would just get the voter registration list, and we would go to certain communities where there was a population that was conducive to our desires, and we went door-to-door hitting all the libertarians to remind them, please come out and vote on mm-hmm. Election Day appealing to them that way. How did you get them rolling, though? How did you fire them up? Or were they already pre-fired? They were pretty fired up at the time. I won't mention surnames, but Dan and Jay were two oh, of the big yeah. ones for me. And Jay rocks. He he collected thousands of signatures for me when I ran yeah. for governor. 
both times. They sent him to Hawaii one time. That's because right. He was so effective. He's so good at collecting signatures. Yeah, yeah. darned good. Yeah. Jay's pretty good. He's running for Congress too. I still have yeah. one of his buttons. I think he's one on every political party yeah, yeah, yeah. at this point. Uh, he's pretty good. Yeah. Do you ever walk away from any volunteers? Not that I recall. No. Yeah. May have been disappointed with some of them, but uh-huh. never walked away because I realized that they hadn't done any major transgression, and I really needed their help. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard to get a sufficient number of volunteers. So when you say you had 600 people. 900. 900. Well, that's that's darned good. Yeah. And they were all over the place. And that was the ones that I counted. And they're all the impromptu. And you'd see them on like the comment section after some article or something like that. And Mm -hmm. I have no idea who this person is. So I, I guess you can count them as a volunteer, but I didn't. These are the people whose names I knew. Yeah. It was it was a lot to stay on top of. That's why campaign manager, got to have a campaign manager. But that is another participatory democracy thing. How do you create a campaign staff? Yep, and that'll be. I think that's going to be episode. Excuse me, part six. I don't know. There's six six or seven parts to this, and we're we're on part two right now. Yeah. Part one was getting on the ballot. Part two is motivating and keeping volunteers. Well, if we do two per episode, then on part six will be on my next appearance on the 26th. <laughs> do you know what, Art? Maybe, oh, I think we have a guest for that day. Uh-huh. You know what? I, I will watch him. For I was a campaign treasurer for uh, Rich, Rich P, we'll say. Yeah. Remember? Oh, yeah. I used Jorge's last name, too. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure if it's inappropriate to do that. But no. Well, he's a Rich, great guy. Rich ran man. for U.S. House of Representatives, wherever he was located, and I was his campaign treasurer. Talk about learning by immersion, <laughs> become a campaign manager, and then all of a sudden you become at least knowledgeable of, if not expert, in all of the wonderful FEC laws and the rules and regulations uh, governing finances for political candidates. And, and that's one reason why we have to have a part six about the campaign, because the treasurer in Pennsylvania, Pe- Pennsylvania's reporting requirements, financial reporting requirements are actually pretty feeble. They're pretty weak. Mm-hmm. You just have to say where money comes in, where it goes out to, well, that's about it. You just do it five or six times a year, and it's it's over. Yeah. Pennsylvania's pretty good. It's not like the FEC where they could throw the treasurer in jail and thousands of dollars fine. But for campaigns that were running as libertarians, it, it wasn't onerous. We were able to just keep careful books and records and receipts and yeah. all that. And as long as you maintain some yeah. sort of fiscal responsibility and accountability in the system— mm-hmm then it shouldn't be terribly difficult, and you don't have to worry about a jail term. Yep, and the fine. Oh, the Pennsylvania fines are crazy. $20 a day if you're late. I'm mm. sorry, $10 a day. I do recall something along those lines, yeah. Yeah, $10 a day if you're late filing to a maximum of 250 But again, it's just prudence on the part of the treasurer. Yep, yep. Not too difficult. No. So there you have it. That was part two. Is wow. how to find volunteers, how to find out what the, you should have them do, how to start them rolling, how to keep them rolling. and Keep them when, motivated. When, yeah, and you got two opinions there. you got two people who've run for office, one successfully and one persistently. <laughs> <laughs> I, it, you know, if anything, in politics, tenacity is a virtue. You cannot give it up. Well, you know, that's going to have to wrap it up for the them portion of the show. Thank you for participating in that art. You saved us a lot of trouble without a guest. People didn't have to just listen to me talk for a while. Hope we we have whetted the appetites. Yes, anybody you can do it. Yes, nobody's permission. Just get the get the petitions from the state or the county. Get some signatures, put them in there, and you are in. Believe him, folks. If Ken and I can do it, you can do it. (laughs) (laughs) That is so true. That's going to wrap it up for the them portion of episode fifty of the Pennsylvania Project. 
We're going to pause for this information, and when we return, I'll be ranting about something that really sticks in my craw, the worldwide, worldwide response to the coronavirus. The following is a commercial announcement. Hey, Chris, how's it going? Bad, Ken. Really bad. What? What's the matter? Our friends at the Infernal Revenue Service paid me a personal visit the other day. The Infernal Revenue Service? Yep. Call them for what they are. They sent these two big brutes to the house and scared us all half to death. I bet. What did they want? Money. Lots of it, too. Remember that part-time gig I took on last summer? Yep, I remember. You were raking in some big bucks. Yeah, and all those big bucks went straight into my personal bank account. It turns out the IRS doesn't like that. And I didn't file any of the right forms or pay nearly enough in taxes. So they want it on now. Right now. Plus penalties and interest. Ouch. Sounds like you should have called Amendment 16. Hey, it's the damn 16th Amendment that got me into this predicament in the first place. No, no, no. Amendment 16, the invoicing service. They'll invoice your client for the hours and expenses you report to them. And when your client pays them, they pay you. Minus all required state and federal taxes. It's that easy. One call does it all. And they'll even have an accountant do your personal taxes for you come April Fool's Day. I mean, come April 15th. And they take care of all the taxes, all the forms? Yep. And they can pass along certain tax breaks, too. Man, I wish I knew about Amendment 16 sooner. Where can I find them? On the web, of course, at amendment16.com, with 16 spelled out. That's amendment, S-I-X-T-E-E-N.com. One call does it all. You've been a registered libertarian for years, voted for libertarians even longer, and lived by libertarian principles all your life. Now it's time to take the next step and become a dues-paying member of the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. Keep abreast of the march towards liberty in Pennsylvania, take an active role in making it happen, maybe even consider running for local political office yourself. It all starts with becoming a dues-paying member of the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. It's easy, fast, and only $20 a year. So visit lppa.org to sign up today. That's lppa.org. Do it today. A freer future is waiting. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, and welcome to the me portion of episode 50 of the Pennsylvania Project, where I get to rant a bit about something that really sticks in my craw. Today, it's the worldwide response to the coronavirus. And it's all the fault of Bob Small from Swarthmore when he asked his question, quote, any thoughts on the violation of self-isolation orders and whether this could constitute a possible harm to others from a libertarian perspective? It's a good question, Bob. And since you ask about a libertarian perspective, I'm going to have to start by identifying the core libertarian principle. You heard me say it a million times, so I'm going to say it again, million and one. You have the right to live your life your way without interference, provided only that you respect the rights and property of others. That's it. Your life, your way. Political golden rule. Words to live by. So that gives you some context. So with that, let's take Bob's question at a straight meaning first. Because by definition, if you're in isolation, I'm not sure how you could be a harm to others. And that would be the measure of any libertarian perspective. Are you initiating harm to others? It's not. You sound very libertarian to me. So if we look at it from a general perspective, if you're suffering from any contagious disease, whether it's corona, AIDS, herpes, or even the common cold, the libertarian perspective is always that you should not harm others. 
So if you're sick, stay the hell home. Don't play typhoid Kenny and spread the disease. Because if you did go out and about, that's certainly not respecting others, is it? It's pretty cut and dried, isn't it, Bob? And that should be the end of my response to your question. But I couldn't help but take a look beyond it because there's a question of personal responsibility. And I, that's why I said I couldn't answer this in the beginning of the show because there's just so many angles to this. And I wanted to look beyond the question to some of the various societal responses we've seen. So first off, let me give some more context. In my opinion, there's absolutely no way we're going to be able to stop the spread of the coronavirus. The world is much too interconnected to be able to stop it. You know, the, the only way you could stop it would be stopping the motor of the world, as John Galt would put it. It's a fact. Until we have a vaccine, it's going to spread. We're not going to stop it. And that's what's happening. I mean, we're seeing it started in China, then it went to Italy and Iraq and Today, the governor got on and he said, Montgomery County, we're shutting down all the schools and we're sitting here in Montgomery County and it's still spreading. It's going to spread. The only thing we can do is take as many steps as we can to save lives. But what steps? Specifically, what steps? The CDC gave you the same basic advice your mom gave you. Wash your hands, cover your cough, don't touch your mouth and nose, don't pick your nose. You're sick, you're staying home. Yes, mom, yes, mom, I'm listening, CDC mom. But you know, some of the measures that they've been taking lately have started to go beyond that. Measures that don't respect the rights and property of others. Unlibertarian measures, as we now know, like self-isolation orders that Bob mentioned. Let's look at the worst possible example of a mandatory self-isolation, the Diamond Princess. You heard about that cruise ship. They knew, they knew for a fact there was coronavirus on board, and you know what they did? They deliberately locked those people up on the ship and would not let them come off. It's off the coast of Japan. And a full disclosure of a moment, I have a relative who works for Princess and they knew nothing about this rant. I did not consult them about this rant. My words are my own, not theirs. And it wasn't the princess people who locked them up. It was the Japanese people. Locked them up on the ship like cattle, like criminals, even though they'd done nothing wrong. And what happened? Surprise! Not. Given all the close quarters, within a month, it spread from the original one person to over 500 people on board the ship. Seven of them died because of what they did. What else would they expect? What else could you expect? There were, what, 3,000, 4,000 people on board that ship? And with something as, as viral, 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 <laughs> both as the coronavirus, what would you expect? Our motto here at the Pennsylvania Project is that it's more important to solve the correct problem than solving the problem correctly. And that Diamond Princess fiasco appears to have been an incorrect solution to the wrong problem. And what other sorts of solutions, quote unquote, to the wrong problem have we seen? Well, the big one is what we saw today. Canceling events is the biggest one. They canceled all these football games, tournaments, basketball games, one after the other. All these major gatherings are being shut down. Reservations are being canceled. Airlines, tickets are being forfeited. Trips are being canceled. 
The economic impact is huge, absolutely huge. Just look at the Dow. A month ago, it was about 29,000. Today, I, took, I don't even know how low it went. I, did, I didn't even look before it closed. It's like 21,000-ish within a month, 29,000, 21,000 within a month. And it's probably not done dropping yet either. It's still on its way. See what happens when you solve the wrong problem? It hurts people who've done nothing wrong. Look what happened to the Diamond Princess. It hurt those people physically. Look what's happening to the, to the economic situation. It's hurting people economically. And you know, they tried this same approach with the 1918 flu pandemic. They tried this social distancing or whatever that catchphrase is. I forget what it is now. Turned out they, they compared cities. They compared Philadelphia with St. Louis. Philadelphia had this big parade. St. Louis didn't. They did all this quieting, calming stuff. St. Louis doubled the time it took for the flu to finally dissipate. Twice the time. Now, Philadelphia did have a sharper spike of deaths, but it was up, down, over, gone. But St. Louis, it dragged on and on and on and then did a little bounce at the end and then went away, even though St. Louis had stopped its social distancing stuff. I, I read the original study. I went through the whole thing in preparation for this show. They call it flattening the curve. A better name for it might be extending the problem. <laughs> Double the length of the flu epidemic. So what do we do? We're all about solutions here at the Pennsylvania Project. So what would I suggest? I give it some thought. My degree is in physics, so I have a reasonable scientific basis to make some observations regarding some of the facts that I've seen. Let me just go through some of them. First fact is that corona spreads very easily. Diamond Princess proved that. And seven people paid with their lives for that knowledge. The second fact is that the death rate is more than an order of magnitude less than Ebola, MERS, or other of these recent quote-unquote headline diseases. The situation we have today is not the 1918 flu pandemic all over again. It's an order of magnitude less. One-tenth the amount of people are dying. The third fact is that most people who get it don't even know they have it. The symptoms in most people are those of the ubiquitous cold virus or a mild flu. Or some a little bit stronger. Among normal, healthy people, hardly anyone dies. Maybe one in a thousand, maybe two. Small fraction of one percent. And virtually no children get it at all. And that got me thinking. Why then is the death rate hovering over a little over three percent? Over 30 deaths out of 1,000 afflicted? Why? Is it because of underreporting of all those minor cases, as Elon Musk has tweeted? I would say it's probably true, since most cases are minor. You know, if you had a cold last week, you could have had corona. You could have been spreading it. Doesn't matter regardless. The key question is, who are those 30 plus out of 1,000, and why are they dying? The answer, and the fourth fact, is that it's old people that are dying. It's people who are already sick who are dying. To my mind, the correct problem to solve is to save their lives, those old people, those sick people, as best we can. In other words, they are the ones who should be considering self-isolation. The vulnerable old folks, 
the vulnerable sick folks, not the rest of the planet. Yes, yes, the healthy people may get sick, but they'll soon get better. The statistics overwhelmingly support that. You just go, look, like I said, nobody under the age of 10 has, has gotten it. That's statistics I saw. That may change by the time you see this. One out of a thousand for teenagers, one or two out of a thousand for 20s, 30s, 40s. It isn't until you get people in the 50s or so that it finally starts drifting up. So it's the 60s, the 70s, the vulnerable old folk, the vulnerable sick, not the rest of the planet. It's the vulnerable who we should be concerned about. They're the ones who should deliberately and voluntarily choose to sit this one out, and we should be the ones helping them to do that. So now it's our turn to tell mom what to do. Wash your hands, mom. Wash them often. Cover your cough, mom. Don't touch your nose and mouth, mom. I saw that. Stay home, mom. Close the door. We'll have your groceries delivered. Don't let anybody in. Not even your kids. Not even your grandkids. You wait until this blows over, mom. In the meantime, please, mom, take care of yourself. Do it for the children. And on that viral note, that's going to have to wrap it up for the Pennsylvania Project, episode 50. What do you think about the coronavirus? Are you better off than you were three and a half years ago? Are you planning to run for public office or anything Pennsylvania related? If you have something to say, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at PennsylvaniaProject.com, right after you sign our petition, that is. And you can hear us there, too, as well as iTunes and other popular podcast providers. Today's episode is courtesy of Amendment 16 Limited, recorded live at the studios of WWDB Radio, broadcasting in Philadelphia at 860 on the AM dial every Saturday at 10 a.m., among other times, and in Kutztown on KUR Radio every Monday at 7 a.m. Our webmaster is Stephen Worley, marketing guru Connor Dragotis, featured Toastmaster narrator is Creature Hulse, featured Toastmaster cohort, distinguished Toastmaster Art Farnsworth, keyboard wizard Joe the Pag, radio producer Brett Kronberger, executive producer Mark Bazzacco, and me, your caster, Ken Krawchuk. Thanks for joining us. And remember, more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct viral problem.